Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. morning, I want to uh, give a special shout out and thanks and uh, congratulations to one of our longtime members of our church, uh, Ed and Angie Krause. Ed was promoted uh, to the chief of police of the Fort Worth Police Department this last week, and I want to congratulate Ed. Proud of Ed. He cannot fix your tickets, so don't even approach him for that. Uh, In fact, I wonder how many first responders do we have in this service? Would you stand and let us just honor you, all of our first responders? Most of them are at work today, but all of you that can be here, let's give them a big hand. Thank you. We have our uniformed officers here. We have some who are not in uniform. They're here to protect you. They're here to serve you. We get criticized for that from time to time, but that's fine. I can handle that. We are the church that will shoot back. I'm just uh, real proud of them. We pro- you protect what's important, and you're important, your children are important. When you see those officers out there, they're there for their protection. It's sad that we ha- live in a world where that's necessary, but it is, and we understand that. You remember uh, one of the, uh, Jesus' chief disciples, Simon Peter in the garden, when they came to arrest Jesus, he was packing heat, man. He pulled a sword and cut Malchus' ear off right in the garden. So Jesus' boys were packing, so ours are too. So that's how we roll. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, We're in a new series called Miracles, Miracles. It's a great, uh, I think, appropriate idea for the season. As I told you last weekend, a miracle is never a word God uses to describe anything that he ever does because God cannot uh, surprise himself. Everything God does is incredible, it's amazing, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but it's not anything. He never uses the word miracle to say, that's what I've just done, that was a miracle. It's our word, we use that word. When we see him do something that we thought was impossible, when he puts a relationship back together that we didn't think could ever happen, when he puts a home back together, when he puts a business back together, when he puts a life back together, when he heals someone, when he touches someone, when he takes someone so broken and fixes them, and we say, man, how in the world did that happen? It was a miracle. See, that's our word, we use that. But I wanna tell you this morning in this Christmas season, we serve a God who's big enough to do the impossible. In fact, every miraculous thing happened, started out as an impossible situation. And so we're talking this morning about this idea of God continuing to do the miraculous and piecing together that which was broken. And this morning, I wanna talk to you for a little while on this idea that we're in a season of serving, a season of serving. In fact, I believe with all my heart, God has designed every one of us in this room and those watching online, he has designed us to serve. Now, many of you, if not most all of you, will be hosting family and friends Uh, You'll be setting setting the tables, putting the dishes out. You'll be preparing the meal, getting the pots and pans ready. So the vessels uh, are necessary to serve your guests. And so that's just part of the season. You'll make some new memories. I, I pray you make wonderful memories this holiday season. And those of you who are hosting these events are typically the ladies in the house, but there's a certain amount of stress that falls on our sisters during this time of the year. 
And uh, they don't always are, they're not always appreciated for the stress that they deal with. But I, I, ladies, you'll find yourself in good company because uh, back in Luke chapter 10, when Mary and Martha were hosting Jesus for a little event, uh, Martha was extremely stressed. Can you imagine having the son of God come to see you for Christmas? Would that, would that be amazing? I mean, Mr. Perfect, right, shows up at your house. I mean, all of a sudden in Bethany, he shows up and the Bible says that Mary sat at his feet and was just loving hearing him talk. Mary was enjoying the experience. Her idea of the holidays was the people are more important than the food, right? So she's sitting at his table, making a memory, listening to Jesus talk, hearing all the exploits and all of his adventures, while Martha is in the kitchen. The Bible says she's scurrying about trying to figure out what she's gonna feed everybody. And she's stressed. She is, a, she is a stressed sister. She is really stressed out. And when you look at Luke 10, verse 39, 40, right in there, she finally gets frustrated. And all you stressed sisters finally get to that point where your head will explode if you don't say something, right? She looks into the kitchen, and, or looks into the living room, and there's her sister. Now, don't you stressors hate it when you're stressed and no one else is? She was stressed, and she looks out there, and there is her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus doing nothing, not even stressing. And so she yells out there to Jesus. She said, Jesus, would you tell Martha, uh, or tell Mary rather, to help me, I need some help. And when you read the Bible, you don't get inflection. But I kind of think Jesus responded this way when you read this. I think he said something like this. Martha, Martha. I mean, we'd say in Texas, bless your heart. Sweetheart, it's okay. He said, just, just, just whatever you got in there. You got some baloney, it doesn't mean a hot dog. I don't call in Domino, I don't care. It does. The most important thing is that we spend some time together. So I wanna say that for you stressors and tell you, I know it's important that you have the table set. I know it's important you have the meals prepared, but don't forget to enjoy the experience. Enjoy being with each other because every one of us this year will make a new memory. Now, I love what uh, George Burns once said. He said, true happiness is a large, loving, caring family in another city. So some of you will have to navigate through that. But I, I do pray it's a, a wonderful season. And we're talking about how it is truly a season of serving. Now, I said all that to say this. One of the metaphors God uses to describe us, and oftentimes he uses various metaphors to help us understand what his purpose is for us. And one of the metaphors he uses to say, this is what you are, he says, uses this metaphor, vessels. Vessels. Uh, I, I said you'll get out the pots and pans and you'll set the table and you'll have dishes and you'll have glasses. But have you ever considered that uh, you're a vessel? God has designed you as a vessel and being a vessel, he has designed you to serve. The purpose of a vessel is to serve others. And so he's using this analogy to help us wrap our heads around what he has us here to do and the primary purpose of during this Christmas season, we wanna really wrap our minds around the fact that one of the great purposes of God in our life is to serve others and we serve him by serving others. In fact, if you look with me in Jeremiah chapter 18 and you see how the, the, the potter was uh, illustrating a wonderful message to Jeremiah in his day. In fact, in Jeremiah 18, if you have a Bible, look at verse two. God said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. He's, he's designing some vessels. And when you get there, observe what he's doing and hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house. He's working at the wheel. Now, pottery is an ancient art that remains virtually unchanged to this very day. The wheel that it's talking about there was a, a board. And on top of the board would be the clay. And the board would be connected or the wheel would be connected to a foot treadle. 
So the potter would set and he would pump the treadle, the, 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 the uh, board would spin, and as it spins, he works the clay. So you get the, the imagery of what Jeremiah is describing. So this potter is pumping the foot treadle, he's working at his wheel, and he said, but the vessel he's making, notice suddenly something happens to it, it's marred in the potter's hand. So he just reworked it, same vessel, he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. And then he said, just as the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Two or three things I wanna share with you. Number one, I want you to consider this, the vessel designed. The vessel designed. That potter had in mind, he had a vessel imagined before it ever took shape in his hands. It was in his head before it ever became in his hands. Uh, Everything God does is a means to an end. God always starts, he begins with the end in sight. Uh, I'm not very artistic, Uh, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've tried, I've tried to do things, I'm not really artistic. In wood shop in uh, middle school at Everman, I, I tried to turn in my project as it was going to be a bird, uh, bird, ca- uh, uh, bird house. And so I got the wood, they assigned me the wood, our shop teacher said, okay, you're going to be graded, your semester grade's going to be based on how you do, but this is all the wood you get, so do, you know, do your project with what you've got. So I turned it in, got it approved. So it was back before I learned that valuable lesson of measure twice, cut once. So I had to go back to him two or three times to change my project because my cuts would be off, nothing would come together. And my, you know what my birdhouse ended up being? Are you ready for this? A pencil holder. (laughs) I mean, I am telling you the truth, a pencil holder. And it wasn't even level, it wasn't even level of pencil. It was awful, I'm saying I'm not real artistic. I I was okay with that, I made the top four of my class, it was a D, got a D on that one, top four. Uh, anyway, the point is, I wasn't real artistic, and yet I admire people who, who are. Some of you can paint, and some of you can draw, and some of you are good with pottery, and some of you can sculpt. Uh, have you ever seen really good at working wood and whittling, and they can create these amazing figures out of that? I watched a guy do that one time. It was amazing. It was incredible what he was making, and I asked him, I said, man, I admire your talent and your skill. I said, what do you, how do you do that? What's your process? And I never will forget, he said, I, I start with uh, an image in mind of what I want this to be, you know? And, and, and what I do is I work this wood in such a way that I cut away, in the simplest way of telling you, I cut away everything else that doesn't look like that image. So anything that doesn't look like what I want this to be, I just cut it away. And I thought, that's a sermon illustration. I mean, Romans chapter eight, verse 29, he's conforming us into the image of his son. In other words, God knows what he wants you to look like, so he cuts everything else away that doesn't look like what he wants us to be. He shapes us and forms us, he molds us, he makes us, because he's got a purpose for us. Remember what he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5? Before I formed you, I knew you. And I appointed you, when your mom was carrying you around, I appointed you to be a prophet. <laughs> he was saying, I already had a plan for you. You're not an accident, you're an incident. God had you in his mind before you ever discovered this world. So I'm just suggesting to you that the work of the potter is significant because the potter represents God in that story. The clay represents us. We're formed from the dust of the earth. In fact, the 109th Psalm, David said, he remembers our frame that we're like dust. And the wheel, what does the wheel represent? It represents the turns and twists of life. And in the turns and twists, the vicissitudes of life that you and I all go through, the the potter is at work. 
He's shaping us. He's forming us. He's making us because he has an idea of what we're supposed to look like. It's our purpose. And as I've told you many, many times before in Ecclesiastes 3, the significance of purpose is as long as you have purpose, you have time. So God is simply saying, I've got something for you to do. I'm, design, I'm working, I'm, I'm, I'm shaping you, I'm preparing you, I'm getting you ready for your purpose. Everything that happens is intentional. He does things for purpose, with purpose, on purpose. He's at work in your life because he has designed you as a vessel. He's designed you to serve. In fact, I love this verse that carries that idea. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. Listen to this. In a large house, there are vessels some are gold and silver, but some are wood and clay. Some vessels are for special purposes and some vessels are for common use. Meaning some vessels are china and they're special events and they're, and they're beautiful in their way and they're delicate. Some vessels are common everyday vessels you use for cereal and that sort of thing. And he's using that analogous to you and I. He's saying God has shaped us, he's formed us, he's made us unique. Some of you are china. Some of us are pots and pans. <laughs> God has designed us in different ways, but every one of us are designed with this purpose in mind, and that is to serve someone else. We're to bring his love to someone else. We're to bring his word to someone else. We're to bring a little bit of who he is to someone else. So we are, I just don't want you to miss this, we are a vessel designed. So he said, uh, Jeremiah, understand this value. Everyone you minister to are like vessels. They are in the hand of the potter being designed for purpose. Second thought. Not only the vessel designed, but in this narrative, and this is the hard part. You see the vessel as it is devastated. Devastated. The Bible says, did you catch that? The vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. Now that goes against a lot of people's theology. A lot of people said, man, once you're in the hand of God and your life is in his hand, remember what Jesus said, all that the Father gives me are in my hand. No one can take them from my hand. So that analogy, that, that idea, that term, that anthropomorphic term that helps us get the idea that once I have connected with my creator, I'm in his hand. I'm safe and secure. Uh, my eternal destiny is, is, is secure. I'm gonna be in heaven one day. But on the journey from here to heaven, that doesn't mean I'm not gonna be devastated. The Bible says the clay that he's working on, did you catch that? Was marred while it was in his hand. Somebody said, man, I thought if you got in church and you got your family in church, I thought if you started reading the Bible, if you started praying, I thought if you started giving, I thought if you started, I thought if, if you started checking all those boxes that are good boxes to check, I thought if you did that, your heart never gets broken. Your prayers are always answered. You just step from one wonderful experience right into the next and nothing ever goes wrong. Everything just happens according to plan. Let me tell you something, that's not biblically accurate. Jesus said the servant is no better than their Lord. He said, they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. He said, you need to understand, you're gonna go through some stuff. And that stuff's gonna happen, by the way, while you're in his hand. I know sometimes we do things that we bring things on ourselves. I get that. I've never struggled, I don't know about you, but I've never struggled with anything bad that's happened to me when I understood why it happened. Have you? I mean, I just, you know, well, two and two is four, I get it. Stupid is as stupid does, I understand that. 
Sometimes you just, that happens because you just, you know, you, you know, they say, don't jump, don't jump. You jump, you're going to hurt your leg. Don't jump. And you go, well, I can fly. And you jump and you go, well, I can't fly. I told you. Whose fault was that? Mine. And it is frustrating when you don't have anybody to blame but yourself. And my point with that is that doesn't give me any theological heartburn when I go through something that I know is a result of something stupid I did. I get that. That's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about going through something. When you look at your life, or you look at the person, or you look at the circumstance, and none of the dots connect. And you feel like God's unfair. You feel like you've been shortchanged. You feel like that somehow, some way, uh, that this is just happening for no reason. This is just random. This is just, un it, it just, it's just not right. That's when your theology gets stretched. And that's exactly, I think, this imagery here of the clay becoming distorted and twisted in the potter's hand. And I can tell you there's probably some things that you consider why that could have happened. Sometimes uh, it happens because there's something in the clay uh, that was uh, a stone, a pebble, a rock. There was something in the clay that wasn't exposed until the potter began to work the clay. No perfect clay. Sometimes when the potter begins to shape and form and he begins to squeeze the clay, the impurities of the clay will work their way out. Remember what he said in Mark 2, it's not what goes into the person that defiles him, it's what comes out. I've told you before, somebody cuts you off and something comes out of your mouth, not real sanctified. Don't look so pious. I ask you the question, did that person put that in your heart or did they draw that out of your heart? Think about it. It was already there percolating. They just took the lid off and it came out. You see, we're all full of something. You're full of something. And you don't know what you're full of till you get bumped. And somebody eventually will bump you. Somebody will squeeze you. And when you get squeezed or bumped, what's in you comes out of you and you figure out what you're full of. So I'm just suggesting to you that sometimes as the potter works the clay, the impurities, because none of us are pure clay, so sometimes the impurities of the clay work their way to the surface, and sometimes he does that for that reason. He just says, you, you need to deal with that. You got a little anger issue, you got some pride going on in your life, I'm gonna squeeze you a little bit so you can see that. It's, it's hard to address something in your life if you're not aware of it. And once you're aware of it, you start going, oh, wow, this is, man, I got, I got, to, I got to fix it. I got to deal with this. This is going to affect my ability to serve others. Uh, I, I, I've got to work on this. And sometimes the purpose of the squeezing is to reveal the imperfections of the clay. So if you're smart, you recognize that. Don't just say this is the way I am and I refuse to change because the potter's going to have to squeeze you a little harder. If he's gonna allow you to fulfill purpose, he's gonna have to squeeze you a little more because you ain't there yet. And so I'm just suggesting that sometimes the devastation of the clay happens as a result of some impurity, something wrong, something in me that needs to be out of me, something that needs to be addressed, and the potter will do that. But sometimes, just for no reason in the world, sometimes the clay just gets off-center, off-kilter, comes apart, falls apart, and it's broken while it's in the hand of the potter. My third thought. Here's what the potter does, and then, and then this point is the miracle. He remakes it. He remakes it. Aren't you glad he doesn't throw you away? He remakes that vessel. 
plan B. God is a God of a plan B, he plans C. Some of you are way up in the alphabet right now, that's okay. You're immortal till he's done with you. You may not be on the, who's, who's on their original plan? Who in the room is actually doing what you set out to do? Most of us have shifted and changed and adjusted and adapted and we found, as we said in the last series, new normals. And I'm saying our potter is in the business of remaking us, reshaping us, remolding us, relaunching us because he wants us to fulfill destiny. I had something in mind for this vessel and while I was working in the life of this vessel, suddenly this vessel just came apart on me, was broken, was shattered. I'm talking to broken people. Every weekend I talk to broken people. One of the things I realized when Cindy went to heaven was how many broken people I talked to every weekend. I had somebody ask me as I was going through that and just processing the fact that she's not, she's not here. He said, is broken the right word, Bill? Pastor friend asked me that. I said, no, actually it's not. The word is shattered. It's a better word. Sometimes when you're broken, you can fix yourself. You read a book, you know, go to a seminar, listen to someone in a small group, you can fix yourself. Sometimes your heart kind of comes back together. But let me tell you, it's possible to be so broken that nothing or no one can put you back together. Only God. What I found during the period of my brokenness is I just had to submit to the hand of the potter. While I'm telling him this isn't fair, I don't think it's right. I trust him, right? Because I know for whatever reason, he's shaping me and forming me and putting me back together. I'm not put back together yet. You're eating off a broken plate this morning, just so you know. I'm not there yet. But what's comforting to me is to hear someone say, what you're going through has helped me. Because that tells me through the broken pieces of our life, we can serve. You can still help somebody. Let me give you this. William and Catherine Booth left their charge in the Wesleyan Church in London because they were burdened for broken people. They saw broken vessels in their city neglected, no one doing anything to reach them. Churches turning their backs on them. They weren't the quote kind of people they wanted in their churches. So these prostitutes and drug addicts and alcoholics and people who had mental challenges, they were by and far, by and large turned away from the doors of the average church. They weren't good enough to go. So William and Catherine dedicated their life to taking the church to them. And back in that day, they founded what a little ministry they called Slum Brigade. We're the Slum Brigade. We're going to the gates of hell to minister to the forgotten, to the broken. And they were effective. So many people were coming to Jesus as a result of their love and service. One day, William got sick and died. And Catherine experienced what some of us had experienced, the devastation of the loss of a soulmate a ministry partner, all of her plans changed. Many thought in her brokenness she would never be able to carry on the ministry, but she did. 
She allowed the potter to begin to put her heart back together and she continued to serve and do the things they had started out as a couple to do. She was effective. The ministry grew. It grew to such a point, they changed the name of the ministry from the Slum Brigade to something you've heard of called the Salvation Army. When Catherine died, her body lay in state in the Congress and Olympic Halls in London. And over a period of time, over 80,000 people walked by her little coffin. Thousands of people. Each one would stop and they would look in the little casket and their tears would drip as they thought of the life that had served so well. One lady stopped and lifted her first and second and third born child up and the officer standing there said, ma'am, you need to keep the line moving. There are thousands here who wanna see. You have to keep the line moving. And the lady said, sir, you don't know what she means to me. She said, I was selling my body on the streets of London to anyone who had the price to pay. And she found me and loved me. She placed the first pure kiss on my cheek I'd had since my mother died. And she told me about somebody who loved me, who went to a cross for me, who could forgive me and who could make me pure. She said, today I'm a Christian lady with Christian children because of what she did for me. And her tears dripped into the coffin. A man came by and gripped the sides of the coffin emotionally, weeping, broken. The officer said, sir, you gotta move. There are thousands here who need to see. He said, sir, you don't know what she did for me. He said, I was in prison. I was convicted of a crime that I did not commit, but she believed in me. She attained a pardon for me, and more than that, she told me about a savior who went to a cross who could pardon me from all my sin, and I could be in heaven one day. He said, I'm a preacher of the gospel today because of what she did for me. They said when little Catherine Booth's body was lowered into its final resting place, that her little shroud, that little shroud, was as wet with the tears of thousands as though it had been dipped in Thames River. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a life of service. That's a life of service. The most significant thing when one day, whenever you and I leave this life will not be our beauty or our brains or our brawn or our bucks. <laughs> it will be what is the impact that we've made on other people. That's the most important thing. The difference we make, it's about serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who serve and those who serve so well. I thank you for my sweetheart in heaven today and the service that she gave to you for the time she was here. I pray for my friends here who may be broken or going through a difficulty. I, I pray they don't give up on the idea of serving. Help them to realize even in their brokenness that when they serve others, it's therapeutic and it's healthy. I pray for those this morning who never have trusted you as savior I pray today that swallow their pride and say, Lord, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. Father, for those who need someone to pray for them before they go, just to encourage them, I pray they'll find their way here to the front in a moment. Let somebody spend just a few moments with them, just to encourage them. Lord, I pray that we'll submit to the hand of the potter, realizing you do all things well. You do not make mistakes you cannot fail. Bring joy to every life. Make this a wonderful week as we press into this season. We give you praise. You are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen.
you leave, be sure to stop by and pick up some cards. Invite somebody to be with you Christmas season. God bless you. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.